The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... The only other standout moment at school was I was giving my insulin in the dinner hall and my form tutor came up to me and told me that I needed to get some dignity and I should inject elsewhere. No way. Yeah. Ooh, Which... how did you respond to that one? But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulin Podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. And we are recording. What is the story, everybody? I'm glad you're joining me today for another episode of the Insulin Podcast. You'll be happy to know that I have another fantastic guest on today's episode. So I suppose it's a, it's a well-deserved break from Graham. I'm sure, I'm sure we're all tired of listening to him. I know, I'm only joking, Graham. I love you. We'll, uh, we'll chat to Graham next week. But I am very excited about my guest today. She is a fellow type 1 diabetic. She is from Lancaster in England. She's diabetic for nearly 10 years. She has a bachelor's degree in sport and exercise science. She's a very successful personal trainer and online diabetic coach. She shares all sorts of fitness, diabetes, mindset advice to her 45,000 plus followers online and somebody who I consider a good friend, Miss Talia Bentley. Talia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited to be on. How's, how's the day going so far? Yeah, good. Uh, busy at the moment. I've got some new projects coming up um, for the typed ones, obviously. So busy, but I'm loving it. Good. You seem to be doing a million different things at once anytime I'm talking to you. So, <laughs> I know. What's the main thing on the agenda these days? So I have just launched my new program, which is called Not Your Average Clinic. Um, and it's basically about getting a hold on your budget levels and having your life as yours and diabetes kind of fits into it rather than your life revolving around diabetes and finding that balance between making sure you're, you're in control but it doesn't dictate who you are and what you're doing I would say is the main concept of it. I suppose that's a similar similar sort of thing I hear echo through the, the diabetic community online is yeah. that 
how you can either take control of your diabetes or it will take control of you. I suppose you're one of those people who has always proved that it doesn't have to take control of you. You can be the one to take control of it. So exactly. me and you often talk about, you know, diabetes, business, health, uh-huh. fitness. But today I would like to hear a bit more of your story, Talia, if you don't mind. So yeah, sure. All of us, I suppose, all of us diabetics have a similar story with regard to signs and symptoms we experience with our diagnosis. So if you want to jump back into the circumstances surrounding your own, I'd love to hear a bit more. Sure. So when I was younger, kind of like early teens, um, I've always been sporty or into some sort of like activities. I was play out and climb trees and stuff um which isn't really good anymore (laughs) but um so I was away it was a summer um and I was away at like an activity camp you know where you go and like climb and abseil and all that kind of thing um Mm. and leading up to that period everyone like my friends and my mom and like dad had expressed that like I'd lost a lot of weight and was okay um, and all that kind of thing. I was feeling quite thirsty, but I just put it down to like being so busy and doing so much. Um, I came back from this summer camp and usually I'd literally be able to like do it three times over, but I just slept dead out for like a week. Um, I felt super tired um, and I was needing to like pee all the time um so I thought I might have had a water or my mum thought I might have had a water infection so she got me like some things to try and treat that and then gradually I was just losing more and more weight like getting more and more tired and I could not obviously drink enough like it just nothing would quench my thirst and then mum was like I need to take you to the doctors and I was like no I'm not going because I was 14 and I didn't want to give you a urine sample <laughs> it was the most embarrassing thing that I could ever do in my whole entire life um so that was kind of like an ongoing battle of my mum trying to get me to pee in a bottle and me being like no <laughs> so I went I was visiting my nan my gran for the day we went for fish and chips and like I just I was needing to go for a wee it was like it was an insane amount um and when my mum came to pick me up my mum was like you need to book her an appointment like if you don't do it I will kind of thing so I went got tested uh they did a fasted glucose test did a urine sample and that was it they were like you've got type one and then I just went to the hospital and did they just tell you right right there and then Right there and then on the spot, yeah, because my fastest glucose test was, I want to say 14 minimal, which would be 252. So at a fasted state, like obviously it should be at around five. Um, So yeah, that was enough to diagnose me, I guess, on the spot. Um, Booked me a hospital appointment and then went from the GP straight to the hospital. So had you any idea that something was wrong, let's say, leading up to this time? Or were you, yeah. were you just kind of thinking, I'm a 14-year-old, I'm invincible, nothing, nothing yeah. can be wrong with me. And then this was just exactly. a massive shock. Yeah, exactly. So I think my mum and dad have probably like Googled the symptoms. So I think they had more of an idea than what I did. Um, 
but yeah it was so unexpected for me I was literally like oh my god my first thought was like I'm never gonna be able to eat chocolate again <laughs> um, <laughs> priorities yeah I know um but yeah no I just had no idea like that hadn't even crossed my mind I hadn't even thought to like research it or anything um what the symptoms might be so yeah when I actually got diagnosed I was upset a little bit but I think I was too young to really grasp how much of a big deal it was at the time. So I just kind of got on with it. It wasn't like I would be sat really upset for like weeks or days after, which would be like a normal response. I think I was just too young to understand that like this is now like you all forever kind of thing. Like it's a new whole new life that you're going to have to lead. So while while you were in hospital, they, they obviously kind of gave you the, the diabetic crash course in terms of yeah. how to inject, how to check your blood sugar. Had you any idea that this was like, this wasn't something that was going to wear <laughs> off over a certain period of time. This was with you for life. Uh-huh. So obviously they said, they said this is like a lifelong thing and like you will have this forever. But in my little brain at the time, it was kind of just like, mm, I'll get, like that's fine. I, I can get on with it. And I think at 14, like, my mum took on such a big role in terms of, like, helping me with it and carb counting and kind of making sure I was on top of things. So although it is such a huge deal, it didn't register with me, I wouldn't say, until I was around 16. Up until that point, it's just it was what it was, and I would just kind of crack on with it you must have just got in a routine with with your mother where yeah. you're checking your blood sugars taking your insulin did you you didn't really understand did necessarily w- why you were doing these things no so i had a obviously like a dietitian and a diabetic nurse and in the early days they'd come all the time uh, and it was before like the days of cgm so it would just be using like a bm to test my blood and i do that like five, six, seven times a day because I was still so active. And I guess, like, I'd go to, so I'd go to school and my mum would do me a lunchbox and she, she'd write me a note saying, this is how much insulin you need to give. So I'd know. It was all done for me, I guess, up until around, and until I left high school, pretty much, my mum was, like, on it. And the nurse would come and each day they'd be, or each week there'd be a new lesson. But I guess, I don't know. I, it just didn't seem like a massive deal for me at the time, or at least at that point in my life. How was it going to going to school then after this <laughs> diagnosis? Because I was, I suppose, just going into college and I was 19. So I suppose I was that age where I was old enough to kind of look after it myself. So what was it going into school for the first time, having notes from your mother saying, this is your food and this is how much insulin you need to take? So I guess that side of things felt kind of constricting for me. And I often say, I think, um, kind of having to have an awareness of carbs and calories from such a young age probably didn't help or kind of was one factor which led me to have an eating disorder. Um, So that was kind of, it, it would be annoying to me more than anything. Like my friends would be having whatever they fancied. And obviously I know 
we can do that. But whilst I was still learning and there was so much to take on, like it was just easier for my mum to know exactly what I was having, exactly how much insulin I was given. And then we could kind of go back and forth with my nurse and consultant and see if things were working. And if not, why weren't they working? So I guess in that sense, it was frustrating um, because I just wanted to live my normal life that I'd been used to for 14 years and eat what I wanted and drink what I wanted like before having diabetes I mean it's probably a good thing but I would always opt for like the full sugar things or the full fat things um so that was kind of like something I had to learn as well and adjusting I guess to having to know what was in everything at such a young age so I'd say that was a it took its toll a little bit um but going into school there was quite a few diabetic kids so they're once a month we'd have like a diabetic nurse come in and we'd all sit and chat about type one and um discuss different topics i guess so it was nice to know there was other people around with it because there was there was other people in your class or your school that had it mm-hmm. had you kind of a vague idea what it had involved or what it did involve when you were diagnosed no. if you had a diabetic in your class no no so it I don't think there was necessarily one in my in my class or even by year. They were it was kind of like spread out, and the only reason I met them was through doing this like diabetic thing once a month, where we'd all get together and chat. But I remember it being mostly boys, and at that age, I was like, boys still had germs, so <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> want to befriend any of them. We still do. We still do. <laughs> but it was good throughout school it was okay like it would be managed there was a school nurse who knew like I could go there if I was having a lower or high blood sugar um there was just a couple of instances like um my whole maths class was in det- lunchtime detention and I was like I need to go and eat and she wouldn't let me so my mom <laughs> came into school and kicked off and like <laughs> got her in trouble basically because my mum was like, Talia needs to eat, like she needs to give her insulin. Your blood sugar was dropping, but you, you, yeah. you couldn't leave the tension to get get your hypo exactly. treatment. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I had notes, like, which would excuse me from class and stuff. Like she was just having none of it. She, uh, she said at one point that I was using it to my advantage as well. So I think that's why my mum got so angry. <laughs> <laughs> Reaping the benefits of diabetes. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be some perks. Um, well, that's it. It's like a, a lifetime get out of jail free card, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the only other standout moment at school was I was given my insulin in the dinner hall and my form tutor came up to me and told me that I needed to get some dignity and I should inject elsewhere. No way. Yeah. Ooh, Which... How did you respond to that one? So if it happened to me like right now or in the past, five years I would have definitely had something to say back to him and kind of had the balls to explain like what it is and why we need to inject and like who is he to tell me to get some dignity for injecting something which is literally saving my life but at the time I was like too young like I say didn't really have an understanding of why I was doing all these injections and blood tests and so I just kind of went a little bit shy I walked out of the dinner hall got a bit upset And then again, I rang my mum, who then (laughs) came and kicked off at school. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> at least she, she has your back. <laughs> she got herself a bit of a reputation at my high school. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it sounds that way. Since then, have you have you had any incidents like that where some idiot comes up to you and says, you know, you can't inject here or go to the bathroom and do that or uh, keep that under the table? Yeah, 100%. Like being sat in restaurants um, or just being out and about. I've had people accuse me of being a drug addict. Um, I've had people be like, you shouldn't be doing that there. Like, can you go and do that elsewhere in somewhere that's not so public? Like that kind of thing. It's just Karens of the world, isn't it? Not to offend mm. any parents that are listening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, quite a few times. But right, right, like, I will stand on my own two feet now and tell people exactly what's good. Like, um confident enough in my knowledge of type one to give them the full breakdown Hmm. i think that's something that a lot of people out there kind of have an issue with not the people seeing the injection but the diabetics themselves themselves i've spoken to loads of diabetics who say you know they're shy embarrassed ashamed to inject in public yeah. And it all I stems suppose. from the um, the stigma that's attached to type two and the fact that they're both called diabetes. So everyone assumes that or tars them with the same brush, I guess, because there's just no education around it growing up as to what it actually is. Well, that's it, and I suppose me and you are good examples of that. It's like we're both, I suppose, experts in, uh-huh. in, in diabetes at this stage. But prior to our diagnosis, well, me anyway, I didn't have a clue what diabetes was. Mm-hmm. Like the first, when I was told I was diabetic, the first thing I thought about was, <laughs> you know, like I can't eat sugar anymore. I can't go out with my friends uh-huh. anymore. So <laughs> it was that, yeah. you, like we, we have that, almost ingrained in our minds i don't know where we pick it up from but Uh you just automatically assume that diabetes diabetics can't eat sugar they can't drink alcohol Uh they can't go out they can't do normal things you know Uh they used it's always because we used to be unhealthy we used to be overweight we used to have a bad lifestyle that's just for some reason the stigma which is attached to type one which annoys me so much and why when someone posts a picture of a cake and they're like, it's diabetes on a plate. Like that's why I'm so touchy about it because there's people being diagnosed so young, people being born with it. It's still embarrassed to talk about they have this chronic illness, which is crazy. Hmm. I think one of the biggest parts of it is kind of gaining that ability to be confident around it because I often say it's as much a psychological condition as it is a physical one. And if you kind of have that idea in your head that this is something that, you know, you should hide or you should be ashamed of or embarrassed of, that's when issues are going to start arising within your physical management of it. So that's why it's so important to promote that kind of healthy, confident mindset around your diabetes management, because that in itself is an irreplaceable tool. A hundred percent. And the more confident you feel, it increases your ability to manage your blood sugars massively because confidence makes you stressed. Stressed obviously makes you your blood sugar high and then you can't sleep as well. And then you make 
worse decisions and because you're not as in tune with your body like it all has such a knock-on effect and the first time you're like actually no I've got type 1 diabetes and this is what it is it you've kind of crossed that bridge and it becomes so much easier to do again and again and by informing that one person they might then have that same conversation with another person who then has it with another two people and before you know it like you've actually reached a lot more people than you were initially thinking well that's it it's just it's that knock-on effect of informing one person then they know next time diabetes comes up in a conversation for them they'll tell somebody else they'll tell somebody else you know Exactly. exactly and just like you were saying there about how when you're stressed, your your blood sugar is affected. You don't sleep as well when you're stressed. When you don't uh-huh. sleep well, you don't make as good decisions. And it's like everything becomes more complicated and everything impacts your blood sugar. And I remember recently I put up a post on Instagram and I, I was asking people where they see typically their biggest spike throughout the day with their blood sugar. And uh-huh. everyone was saying like dinner time, dawn phenomenon, I get a spike in the morning yeah around my workouts and somebody was like i'm i've gotten to the stage where i feel as if breathing affects my blood sugar <laughs> amazing <laughs> i mean they're not that's wrong. the way it is yeah there is 42 factors which affect fluctuation in your blood sugar 42 things like that is an insane amount of things which can affect you and you can't be expected to have every single one of them under control every single day it's just not feasible so all we can do is manage what we can to the best of our ability i think and there are days where things are unexplainable and you're like well why is this happening because today was the exact same as yesterday but Hmm. it literally can come down to the smallest of things well that's it and that's why i think it's so important to have that sort of steady routine that you can fit your diabetes management into well. So almost every day it's predictable and you can anticipate what's going to happen. And it's like that diabetic triangle of medication, nutrition, and exercise. And you need to have all three of them treated as equally as the next to have overall good management. A hundred percent. Definitely. And I think it like in terms of exercise, it, it's so underestimated in how beneficial it can be because of how hard it is to kind of come to terms with what you need to do in order to manage your blood sugars around exercise. But as soon as you nail it, you've, you've won the lottery ticket. So from someone now, Talia, who is a successful businesswoman, you're mad into your fitness, you uh-huh. look care your, or you take care of your health. Yeah. From where you are now compared to when you were diagnosed and your mother was giving you your injections and telling you how much insulin to take, when did you kind of make that shift to your, your mother kind of taking on that role to Uh you being the one that's 100% responsible and can confidently take care of herself? Uh So I'd say the first couple years of being diagnosed, I didn't have much Obviously, I was doing my injections and I was kind of listening to what people were telling me. Um, But it was kind of everything was calculated for me um, in that way. And then I'd say 
as soon as I hit 15 um, and I wanted a little bit more independence as a teenager, I would then kind of make my lunch in the evenings with my mum and we'd work it out together. And so I was kind of learning on the go and I started to take a much more of an interest into it because, like I say, I wanted my own life at this point because you feel like you're super old at 15. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess at that point I was kind of more involved in like the behind the scenes stuff. I'd exercise, I was still exercising, still training, not weightlifting, but doing different things as you do as like a kid. Um, so I'd always been conscious of my health and like food, what I ate before being diagnosed. Um, so that was always running in the background anyway. Um, and then when I got to 16 and I was starting sixth form, I guess I was moving to a different sixth form, was like obviously going to be meeting new people, um, new opportunities and stuff. So I think that really was a big turning point in getting a hold on things and then I also got very conscious about food um and what I was putting in my body and so because I wanted to know everything that I was eating and everything I was consuming I wanted to do it all on my own at this point so I guess um it was kind of 16 I would say is when I actually took it all on for myself um and became super independent with it um but because I'd had that in between stage of working with my mum it wasn't it wasn't like a foreign language um the the basics were there and like the fundamentals so did you see yourself get into that kind of steady routine of looking after your management your diabetes management exercising knowing what you're eating so you kind of just educated yourself then in terms of how to keep control of things definitely like i had my life's always been pretty structured and routined which is a good thing because diabetes obviously really takes well to routine um so I didn't feel like I know for some people it'd be annoying like oh I don't want to live my life by a b and c but I was fine with that so I knew I'd wake up do my blood test I'd have the same breakfast every morning give my insulin get the bus to school like it'd all be very hand in hand and things wouldn't really differ day to day which I guess for me made things a lot easier but then again going off to uni after sixth form was like another huge change so that was like learning all over again about when things change day to day and how that kind of affects so it's taken a long time to actually get to the stage where I feel confident in tomorrow I'm going I'm going to do absolutely nothing the day after I'm going to be super active the day after that like it'll be completely different it does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. With regards to your exercise routines nowadays, I think yeah. because both of us are involved in fitness and we keep ourselves so active, it's probably yeah. both of our favorite times of the day. Is there a certain way you prepare for a training session or a workout? Because that seems to be one of the most difficult things for, for diabetics out there to kind of get a grasp of because Obviously, you know, when you weight train, your blood sugar can spike. When you do cardio, your blood sugar can drop. Mm-hmm. What sort of preparations do you take prior to a session to kind of make sure your blood sugars are going to stay as stable as possible? Okay, so for me, I 
mainly lit. Like I don't do much cardio. I get in. I have like a step count that I hit per day. Um, and when my goals slightly change, um, then I will incorporate more cardio. But at the moment, I am mainly lifting. Um, so for me, like my pre-workout, I guess preparation is I know that when I'm lifting my blood sugar is going to slightly spike but towards the end of the session it will start to come down naturally on its own so for some people they'll need to dose insulin before or mid-session I don't need to do that and I know I need to be training at around starting at around eight slash nine minimal sorry I don't know do you which one do you use mg or minimals uh mg ah. oh no what do i use mg yeah mgdl in there yeah let me see so yeah nice. you're the same as me yeah 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 okay so i know i need to start around eight <laughs> slash nine or 162 before i train um i can expect my blood sugar to get to peak at probably around 10 10.5 and then about an hour hour and a half into my session it will start to come down on its own like with a downwards trend it'll quickly drop i'll probably set at around five and then after my training sessions i probably need around half my insulin dose for the next four to five hours and then 24 hours following uh i mornings a little bit less insulin i usually rather than giving myself a separate ratio i'll probably just knock a couple units off but then because i'm training most days that is basically my new ratio whereas on like a sunday if that's my rest day i know i'll need a little bit more insulin um but yeah it's basically get myself to eight knowing it will drop and then micromanaging my blood sugars afterwards because obviously your insulin sensitivity just skyrockets mm. after intense exercise. But that is my routine. Every single client I've ever had looks completely different. And obviously I'm sure you use the three-hour rule when trying to get to figure out what someone needs, needs their kind of session to look like in terms of their graph and line. And was that something that, for yourself personally, is that something that kind of took a lot of trial and error for you to realise Oh or, yeah, yeah. Because like it's it, it's it's kind of like session after session after session after session. Yeah, you kind of just need to constantly be aware of these things that are happening, so you can yeah. learn over time how to kind of prevent it. Definitely, and like Monday, I might have slept so much better than Tuesday, or Wednesday, I might have eaten slightly more than Monday. So like that all affects as well. So you can take what works for you and kind of use that but each day will still be slightly different it's not like a one rule fits every session kind of thing you've still got to be aware of what the rest of your day is entailed and what that kind of effect might have on your session as well for instance if i've been out all day on my feet then it's going to look different to if i've been sat at my desk all day working so you can't kind of take it as the holy grail because it still will need amending day to day i think anyway absolutely and I, and I think that's something that everybody out there living with type 1 diabetes needs to get their head around yeah. and it's not even particularly just with regard to training even just your everyday life is always going to vary 
each 24 hours, you know, and when we, we will be given, I suppose, a generic kind of flat line way to manage our diabetes. We'll have a yeah. set insulin dose to take each day, but the vast, vast majority of the responsibility of your overall management comes down to you because yeah. in reality, we're only going to see our doctors every three, six, 10 months. So it's, it's always, and as you say, it's kind of living consciously and being aware. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I speak to obviously clients or potential clients and kind of, we go through what coaching consists of people are always like, wow, I've never been told that by a consultant, but like you say, they, they only see you every now and again. And the vast majority of them don't actually have type one. So I think when you actually have it, there's such a desire to learn more about it and understand how you can take better control. So I'm constantly trying to better my knowledge and my research um, and learning about what it takes to manage your levels. Whereas a consultant can give you, it's basically a calculation that they're told works. And then there'll be some people that it doesn't work for. And it's kind of like, well, you must be doing something wrong then. But it's not. It's because their body is different to a textbook body. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But that's it. It's everybody's type 1 diabetes is the same, but no diabetic is the same. Our activity levels, our environment, our routine, our sleep patterns, our hormones, the food we eat, everything is going to impact how our blood sugar reacts and how, how our insulin responds in our body. So it's so important and, and you're perfectly outlining it here. It's so important for people to just always be aware of that fact that your daily activity is going to change all the time. So in relation to that, your insulin is also going to change. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You can't just rely on one source of information or what one person's told you because it'll never it might work once and then the next day it's not and you've also got to think for yourself you've got to be so proactive with it and just really learn to become in tune with your body and like when you think oh like I can feel I feel a bit different really think about what that feels like so that next time it happens you're like okay this is what this is a sign of like an upward trend or a downward trend or whatever. So you can kind of preempt and prevent things mm. from happening. I, f I feel that because I only recently, and I think you only relatively recently got a CGM. So you yeah. would have kind of lived years with just a blood monitor where you prick your finger, yeah. put your, your blood in the, the little strip and it tests. So yeah. that was the same as me. I only got my CGM recently. So I was living with just the blood monitor for the guts of eight years. And over that time, I'm just so clued into how my body feels. So like mm -hmm. if my blood sugar drops, I'll feel it. If my blood sugar yeah. is going up, I'll feel it. And it's yeah. funny now that you brought it up because I actually changed my Dexcom today. The sensor's time went out. So I took it off last night. And I mm -hmm. haven't yet put on another one. Yeah. <laughs> and there's kind of, there's kind of something nice about yeah. going about my day today 
Really? Knowing that look, this thing isn't on me, it's not constantly monitoring my blood sugar, but I'm like yeah. back in that mindset of just just fully being in tune with my body. So it's, there's something kind of nice about it. It's so nice showering without it. I think when you have like a, awesome. a proper naked shower, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's always something stuck on you. Yeah. <laughs> literally always anyway look Talia we have been talking for a pretty long time here we usually like I was saying to you we usually like to keep them about 20-25 minutes so I want to finish with one more question and you've probably answered it 10 times over already but if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something what would it be? Um, I would say it's given me like such a better outlook on life it's kind of it really enforces gratitude who I am as a person to be able to cope with it every day um and the small things just don't matter (laughs) and I think it really like homes in on that because what is the point in stressing over the smallest of things when there's so much going on in the world you know gives me more of a purpose it's given me a business so yeah i'd say that's the main things just a different outlook and perspective on what life is all about absolutely and it's it's definitely keeping you busy too with all the stuff that you're up to (laughs) before you head off do you want to do you want to tell the folks at home where they can find you sure so my instagram handle is t1 alia bentley um and then my website is literally just talia.fitness. And they're my two main platforms that you'll find me on. And if you don't follow Talia already, you should definitely, definitely, definitely should. She always gives out great information and is absolutely an amazingly positive person about her diabetes. So it's, it's always a good person to follow. So Talia, mm-hmm. thanks a million for coming on. I really appreciate it. And Thank I'm sure I will see you soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. And for the rest of you, thanks so much for tuning in. As always, rate, comment, subscribe, share on Instagram, all that good stuff. (laughs) Really, really appreciate you listening. And if there is a question or topic you would like myself and Graham to cover, you can email us at theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Graham is going to be back next week, so we're going to have to listen to him again. So until then... Have a good week and I will chat to you soon. Take it easy.